your weekly fix of Asian music. This is Asian Pop Nation. We're so glad that you're here to listen to Asian Pop Nation here on Sin 90.7. We've got an awesome show lined up for you tonight as the last official show for the first season of 2021. We'll be back next week, though, with a music-predominant show. But hey, that's a story for the end of tonight's show. Let's talk a little bit about what's happening tonight. The team here at APN, which includes myself, Aaron, Celeste, and John Paul, will be talking a little bit about a new game inspired by Southeast Asian cuisine that's coming out from a game developer in the Philippines. We're also going to be talking about some interesting initiative that Vegemite is doing with some Asian recipes. And of course, we've got a interview tonight with Zenyo Sakoi, a Japanese traditional dance group based here in Melbourne. And we're going to talk about two members from that team here tonight as well. The last song you just heard was by Asa Boism featuring Nami Chie called Categorizing. Because here on the show, we talk a little bit about putting boxes on people of Asian descent. And that's why we're going to be talking about a show that has a powerful Asian female lead called The Irregulars. So Celeste is here to take it away. So I know last week we spoke about Asian representation in Life is Strange and how we were sure if they were going to bring in a cultural aspect to it to make it more, I don't know, Chinese because her last name is Chan. The new Netflix show has come out called The Irregulars and it's loosely inspired by Arthur Conan Doyle's famous mystery story starring the legendary detective Sherlock Holmes and it's about a group of teenagers living on the streets of London during the Victorian period called the Irregulars and they work for this guy called John Watson to solve supernatural crimes which is like really cool because I didn't think you could do that with Sherlock Holmes yeah and so what's unique about it is that one of the lead actresses is Chinese born and Northern Irish actress Thadea Graham who plays a character called V and she's like this really cool badass girl in the series she's like really strong-willed and stuff and like it doesn't have any cultural elements to it like there's no mention of her being like Chinese or just Asian in general but part of me is like considering last week's talk do we even really need it or it's just the face that we want to see in a role that's just like yeah she's kicking ass I can see that sort of thing I want to be that character and like dress up like her what do you, what do the rest of you think well yeah I'm wondering like do you really need the whole, like, Asian cultural thing to back the character, Celeste? Last week I thought we did, and now I'm just like, nah, I just want to see an Asian <laughs> face on screen, it's fine. <laughs> like, if you can sub out just the general white character with any other character that's a person of colour, please do, it just makes it more interesting. <laughs> mm. Right. I just think that whenever you have a person of colour in a show, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have an episode or a side story dedicated to their culture. I think sometimes it's good to recognize that a person's background or cultural background doesn't represent everything about them. Perhaps it's a big chunk of it, but it's not everything. And it's pretty cool to see this kind of spin off and have characters from the Victorian era be played by people of color, especially if you think about more accurate representations of that time of course you probably see mainly white actors and actresses play these roles but at least with this one since it's loosely based on a fictional story yeah why not <laughs> i'm not sure if it's considered tokenism i know some people might argue that but it's honestly nah, better she's like a kick-ass character so <laughs> i just want to see that but it reminds me of like um i don't know if you've seen it bridgerton as well where they've tried to incorporate not only just the white community, but the black community in it. And it's like, it's not historically correct or anything, but it just, it changes the whole, how it feels. And it feels nice just seeing different people of color in Victorian era. Like I want to reach a stage where kids who watch these shows or like the young generation when, when they get older and watch these shows, they're like, there weren't people of color during that time in the Victorian era sort of thing. Like that would be nice to reach that stage. But yeah. Mm, I think definitely with actors and actresses, I'm sure a lot of people of Asian descent who are trying to be actors and actresses maybe feel like they're limited to particular Asian roles as like a martial arts sensei or some wise teacher. 
and those kind oh, of like, stereotypical yeah. roles on the opium whatever it is trades oh, during that yeah. time <laughs> like there are some kind like, of migrant in that point in history but I think it's cool because as someone who absolutely loves Victorian era stories it's kind of nice to be able to imagine yourself in them rather than having to feel like if I was to time travel back in that time I'd feel <laughs> I mean I probably would be excluded but at least in this kind of imaginary world it's far more I guess accepting and it's kind of cool to be a person of color in this time which has quite a bit of a dark history yeah if anyone's seen the irregulars do let us know on facebook.com forward slash asian pop nation or also on twitter and instagram because if you have any thoughts on asian representation in shows like the irregulars or bridgerton we'd love to know the last song you heard was by Biba Doobie called Last Day on Earth, which is a unfortunate segue to our next discussion about some recent announcements made by Keith Ape. So let's go straight into that discussion. South Korean underground rapper Keith Ape, who rose to fame in 2015 for his viral hit Ichima, announced on Instagram a couple of weeks ago that he unfortunately only has less than six months left to live. He expressed, though, a desire to feature on music by artists he admires and idolizes and for people to talk more about his music and to share his music with others. I thought that we might take a bit more of a serious tone, but I guess it depends on what your answer is to this question. What would you do if you had less than six months to live like Keith Ape? What would the things that you would like to do, I guess, creatively, similar to him or perhaps just personally? Would anyone want to start? Poor guy. Yeah, it's tragic. But, I mean, yeah. he's achieved so much, I think, especially as a musician. I think that's quite an admirable thing to aspire to. But, JP, were you going to say something? I think if I had less than six months to live, I would put all that time into my creative pursuits, like drawing, making comics, which is like kind of what I do on the side. Like, I'll go all in because I want to get that stuff done before I go. Yeah, absolutely. I say something similar. I've always wanted to write a book, but I think it would be an opportunity to not necessarily write something that's going to be the next masterpiece, but actually write something I'd be happy with in six months. So just drop yeah, everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I guess if you have six months to live, you don't really find much need for studying your degree <laughs> <laughs> or anything like that, because it, I guess it has that future frame in mind. So I think, yeah, writing something would be cool and just, yeah, I guess spending time with family, visiting places that I haven't been would be awesome. I guess we're limited to Australia at the moment, but you can't really be too picky. But mm-hmm. Celeste, did you have anything in mind? A thought did float from my head because, like, yeah, he went viral for his hit Itjima. And if I was musically talented like he's Ape, I'd probably do something really crazy, not in the hip-hop scene, and make, I don't know, either a party rock anthem or a ballad, just, like, something completely out of the genre that he's in and just, like, make it really good, viral. <laughs> and then people, like, kind of remember you for that last bit before you move on with life, sort of, yeah. Yeah, I think it'd be cool to have that sort of party rock anthem, just go out with a bang and everyone yeah. remember you for the good times. How about you, Aaron? If I, if I had six months left, I'll probably just probably just do my bucket list, that's it. Anything in particular on the back of it? Um, no, flying is definitely one of them, but I guess I want to probably do a cruise around Australia, I guess. Yeah, that would be fun. If would no, that take I'll... less than six months? <laughs> I'll do it like in three months, maybe. Mm. If not, I could probably just help out with the family. That's pretty much it with the gardening stuff. Although, if not the case, then probably just watch every single movie that there's in cinema currently. No, that sounds like sure. a plan. Oh, sure imagine... Oh, sorry, Aaron, continue. Uh, I just, I'm not sure what could be better, but oh well, we all have our opinions on it. Oh well, how we live and all that stuff, but I'm not sure how this works. I mean, it would be tragic to have a movie you really want to see in cinemas, but it's probably going to be beyond your time of, to live, which is, yeah, maybe there's cinemas in, in heaven or depending where you, <laughs> what you believe. But if you wanted to share what you would do if you had less than six months to live, let us know on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Asian Pop Nation. And you can also send your support to Keith Ape. I believe he's on Instagram if you search him as well. So thank you, everyone. And the last song you heard was Kamiko's Cozy because 
because now we're going to talk a little bit about a cozy game made by the Filipino game developers Chicon Club. Here's JP to take it away. Chicon Club. They're a Filipino game company and they created this game called Soup Pot. It's basically a cooking simulator. Imagine Cooking Mama, but more realistic. And you basically have a recipe book and you just throw ingredients into the pot. You just throw it in whatever. That's how Southeast Asian works in general. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's true, right? Don't laugh. Yeah, um, leftovers become dinner for the next day. But oh yeah, for sure. Again. Yeah, they're, they're all viable ingredients. So if you could get your hands on this game, Soup Pot, what recipes would you want to know how to make? I thought this game was quite interesting because you actually don't really start with... It's, a, it's not the game where you succeed in a, creating food. It seems like it's one of those games where you have a recipe and you just follow it. You don't necessarily... And you can even make food that you already know how to make. I think there's a lot of flexibility with it. Uh, but I think the thing I'd like to make, I'm not sure if you can, is probably something like ramen. I think that would be cool. Yeah, I think it's... I'm trying to think of a dish that's a bit more complex because all of my favorite foods are just like barbecue skewers or <laughs> <laughs> like Korean fried chicken or Korean barbecue. So they're all kind of maybe easy to prep. So I'd love to learn mm -hmm. something a bit more complicated like a hot pot or like a stew or fried rice. Yeah, but did anyone have anything that they wanted to learn how to cook? I see on their website that they've got one with a wok on there and I'd really love to use that wok because... One day I want to earn a walk in the future. Like that's whether I succeeded in life. I'm an adult, like an Asian adult, <laughs> have a walk. But yeah, so I want to try and any recipes with that walk, I want to try it out. But like, I'm also not, I don't know Filipino food that well. And it'll be nice to just learn more about it. And then if anything is of interest, I'll go out and try it at some point. Yeah, so, Filipino, yeah. yeah, Filipino food, really good. Lots of spices, but it'll also make you really fat. <laughs> They're kind of greasy and can yeah. be salty at times. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. But, yeah, they taste good. Sometimes the food that's bad for you tastes the best. I do see on their, like, the big banner page on their website where they've got, I think it's a banana leaf laid out on, like, a table and then they've got fruit mm. on top. Yeah. This is something that I've always wanted to try just because mm -hmm. it's, like, a communal way of eating. And so, yeah, I don't think that'll be in the game, like, preparing it. But if it is, that, that would be fun. fun. Yeah. Mm. I know in many Southeast Asian countries, you can get like rice in banana leaf triangles. So mm. they kind of hang them on a pole and you just grab one and then you've got your rice portion for your meal, which is quite handy, especially they're, they're if you're kinda, eating it. They're kind of sweet in a way. They're like sweet rice cakes. Yeah. I mean, it's well, called mm. sticky rice or something. Yeah, yeah you rice. can get sticky rice, but I was just talking about normal rice in like... Oh, normal, oh, just normal rice. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's in the shape of like a triangle. <laughs> a bit like onigiri, but in banana leaves. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just without the feeling. <laughs> but anyway, that's a more convoluted way of explaining it. JP, did you have one? I'd probably like to learn how to cook chicken adobo. Like that's oh, that's a yeah. staple Filipino food. It's just chicken cooked in a bunch of spices, and it's really good. But like mm. again, like I said earlier, it makes you really fat. <laughs> yeah, in in my family, we have adobo, which is like similar but we use three types of meat so we use pork chicken and beef so it's kind of one of those dishes in the philippines it's like a luxury or more like a party food because mm. especially when i think the only animals you can really graze and raise in the philippines are what chickens and pigs we don't really have grazing land for cows or mm. sheep so it's one of those foods that i think if you have it at your party you know, people are going to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron, what about you? I know you uh, cooked one of those. What was that cake that you made last Oh, the year? sponge cake thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Wait, do I? Oh, I still got that on my image. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> but was there anything you would want to learn how to make? I can't believe it. I'm I've never had a hot pot before, so I'm probably just going to stick to a simple hot pot. Probably those, what's it, sukiyaki, I think. That was. Mm, yeah. I mean, I've never had a hot pot before, so I guess I'll give it a shot one day. Yeah, why not start now? Not a bad idea. Maybe we should go to those fancy restaurants that have those. Yeah, skip the learning how to cook phase, just eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you have any recommendations of what you think we should learn how to cook, or if you're planning to get the game and have some thoughts about it, let us know. We're on most social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
you can just find us at Asian Pop Nation and let us know what you think. Yay! And the last song you heard was by JP the Wavy, Oswald, and Lex from Japan called Wave Body. Because in tonight's interview, we're going to be talking to two people from a Japanese cultural dance group that, of course, waves their body in a form of dance known as Yosakoi. So we have talked to two members from Zen Yosakoi, Daniel and Will, to teach us a little bit about this amazing Japanese dance form. Give it up for Daniel and Will. Hi, Daniel and Will. Thanks so much for joining us on tonight's show. How are you? Well, thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. No, no problem. So I guess my first question for the evening is just to tell us a little bit about what Yosakoi is. So feel free to hop in with and kind of, I guess, intercept each other's answers. We wanted to add on a little bit of information. But yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the history of the Yosakoi dance style? So Who wants I, to go first? <laughs> I, I, I can give it a go. And I guess we'll, you, you can chime in further down the track. So Yosakoi is, I suppose, a, a Japanese dance that is sort of typically performed during summer festivals in Japan. It's a choreographed dance. It has sort of a mixture of traditional dance moves as, and costumes and also sort of relatively modern music to go along with those dance moves. And the dance is generally pretty energetic and sometimes we'll use... I suppose like sort of wooden clapper instruments called naruko, where we will sort of clap and use sort of those instruments to accompany the various dance moves that we have in sort of performing a Yosakoi dance. Will is probably a better historian of, of Yosakoi compared to me, so he, I think he has sort of a better sense of, you know, the history behind where it originated from and, you know, why the dance was created and so on. So I might just hand it over to Will to explain yeah, that. Yeah, DJ, uh, so... In this interview, I'll call Daniel DJ. That's his nickname in our group. So that's who I'm referring to. He covered off on a really good introduction there. So Yosakoi kind of came into existence in the 1950s when Japan was recovering from the Second World War and they wanted some sort of festival-oriented dance style that could like reinvigorate the local shopping centers and get people going back and spending. So it actually started as sort of like a parade style where people would just walk through these really long shopping malls that they have in Japan and sort of like just, yeah, get people back out on the streets. So that's why it's considered partially traditional and partially contemporary. But the really interesting thing about Yosakoi is that it's now kind of quite popular throughout Southeast Asia. There's a lot of teams in Vietnam, Indonesia, Malaysia. There's one in Singapore. There are, I'd probably say, three and a half teams in Australia. So yeah, it's kind of quite popular overseas as well because of those reasons that DJ said, including like the energetic dance, the amazing colourful costumes. So even though it's Japanese in origin, it's got international ties as well. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely fascinating. So how about the history of Zen Yosakoi yourselves? How did that start? I might lead on this one as well. So Zen Yosakoi was founded in 2015 by a group of Japanese international students who were studying at different institutions across Melbourne, including TAFEs, language centres and universities. And they wanted to share their passion for Japanese culture with locals and other international students and non-students as well. So they formed this group and originally it was only going to actually exist for one performance, which was the Collingwood Japanese Culture and Arts Festival, I think it was called. And they taught us one of the basic dances called Nanchu Soran. But we all had so much fun that we just didn't want it to end. So in the end, these international students, they decided to create like a formal group, which is based out of William Anglis TAFE next to Flagstaff Gardens. And we've been kicking on ever since. We've added more dances to our repertoire. We've matured as a group. You know, originally we were all students and some of us have started working, but we still continue to challenge ourselves and attract new members every single year. And what is it about Yosakoi dancing that you think has gained such international popularity and popularity within Australia? Is it because of its energy or is it something more? Personally, that's sort of the main reason why I joined Zen and started dancing Yosako in the first place. And I think, you know, it's just a, a combination of, you know, like you said, sort of the energetic dance moves, the energetic songs, the vibrant colorful costumes. It's just an inter- inter- interesting mix of traditional and modern, I suppose. That's sort of what I think appeals to a lot of people. 
so I suppose dance in general, you know, like even if you come from different backgrounds and you speak different languages, it's sort of, it's pretty universal. And I, I just find Yosako pretty unique in sort of the, the mixture of, of modern and traditional, like, like I said before. And I don't know if Will has anything, you know, anything to add to that. Yeah. So one thing that I find relatively good about Yosakoi is that skill level isn't really a factor. Um, it's more about enthusiasm and just enjoying yourself because it's a festival dance, which is designed to be, you know, performed in large groups in the summer, like festivals in Japan. If you can just smile and do some of the moves and just like follow along, then they'll welcome you along. You can have as much fun as you want. So compared to other sort of forms of dance that people might want to enjoy in Melbourne, including like, you know, ballet, K-popping, you know, hip hop, that kind of stuff. The barrier to entry is a bit lower. That might also be the fact that we are a group that's got, you know, some people from Japanese background and some people from non-Japanese background that our general skill level is lower. So we sort of, we don't focus too much on the choreography and perfection. We focus just more on enjoying the dance and making friends and in like, yeah, just the spirit of the Yosakoi. And I'm sorry, I completely forgot to ask this at the beginning of the interviews, but Danielle and Will, what are sort of your roles within Zen Yosakoi? What are your responsibilities within the group? So I'm currently one of the co-leaders of, of Zen. I've probably been a co-leader since sometime in 2019, I believe. And Will, Will actually sort of, you know, Will started joining. He joined Zen sort of way, way before I did. And he was the previous leader before I, I took over the, the, the leadership role. You know, we, we, we do have sort of interesting views being being sort of leaders and obviously, you know, we have different approaches, I think, to to how to operate Zen in general. Mm-hmm. But I think personally, I think we sort of retain the the general idea of why the group was was formed in the first place, in that, you know, it, it, it's you know, just wanted to create a form, you know, a platform for everyone just to make friends. And, you know, like, I think like we'll say, you know, we, we have a lot of different members from different backgrounds. And I think it's, it's good that we're sort of keeping that going. And yeah, so Will, Will at this stage, he's, he's, you know, he's a long-serving member. But at this stage, I do have, you know, the, the leadership role in some sense in Zen right now. Yeah. So just to add to what DJ has said, yeah, I was the co-leader from around, I think, about 2017 to 2019. And then I handed over to DJ, who's succeeded from me. But our group structure, one thing that we do is that we have co-leader position. One of the co-leaders is non-Japanese and the other co-leader is Japanese. And that means that we can communicate effectively with our member base. Some people might not be so confident in speaking English. So having a Japanese native speaker there is really reassuring for them that they're, you know, being listened to and that we can serve them adequately, but also that we can communicate properly with the Japanese community here in Victoria a lot of our events, in fact, I'd say the majority of our events are related to Japanese culture. So having someone who can be that linkage with the local community is something that myself or Daniel might not be able to do. So yeah, that's something that we've kept since day one with Zen Yosakoi. I guess with choreography, does Zen Yosakoi make their own choreography? And is that created by a choreographer or do they tend to follow similar patterns to other dances from other groups go dj <laughs> so it's a uh, it's interesting this to, a, to ask yeah, um, good, good question yeah it's a really good question so up to this stage we have essentially been performing songs that have been created by other groups and you know so i think that the general sort of process is that you know we'll just request permission to perform their songs and then once we get the permission you'll, you'll practice those songs and you know performing at, at, at events and so on. But at this stage, we are sort of in the process of at the very least trying to create our own song and our own choreography. And it's 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 a pretty involved process and it's, you know, it's sort of our, our first goal at it. And I'm not sure how it will actually turn out. But, you know, given that the, the group, you know, sort of started in 2015, you know, I think, you know, we sort of agreed that it's about time that we, 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 we try creating our own song. And so it's a watch this space and, you know, hopefully that it, the, the song turns out well. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to sort of practicing it and sort of performing and just giving a good show to the audience further down the track. And exactly. what are some of the features of a Yosakoi song? You mentioned some of the things to look out for if you're trying to pick out a Yosakoi dance, but is there certain elements in the song that are unique to the form? 
Yeah, that's also a really good question. Um, so there are actually a few uh, critical components for a song to be considered a Yosakoi song um, and for you to be able to actually perform it in, in Japan as a Yosakoi song. Those three components are that you have to use the naruko instrument, which is the wooden sort of like castanet clapper that you hold in your hands. Um, the second is that if you're doing the stage version or the, um, the sort of like parade version, um, in the parade version, you have to be constantly moving forwards. So you're not allowed to stop in one position for too long. And that's because teams will continually be going through these shopping centres one after another in quick succession. Um, and the third is that you have to use uh, an excerpt of the lyrics or the melody. I'm not actually sure if it's both of a traditional song called Yosokoi Bushi. And the song is like sort of, it tells the story about a monk who bought a hairpin for uh, a woman that he admired and it has other sort of uh, flavour within it about, you know, things specific to the region that Yosakoi comes from, which is called Kochi. So if you have those three elements, which is the instrument, the procedural sort of like uh, dance style and the excerpt from the Yosakoi Bushi, then you can call it Yosakoi. But in terms of the choreography, it's really down to whatever you want to create. You know, you can have jazz, rumba, samba, flamenco, a lot of Latin styles get incorporated into Yosakoi for some reason. I think it must be popular in Japan because of their historical relationship with Brazil. Um, but yeah, it's really anything goes so long as you have those core elements. I know last year was quite a difficult time for any sort of performing arts and entertainment groups. What did you uh, Zen Yosakoi do during 2020? Well, we didn't, we sort of went on, on hiatus for a little bit. I mean, mm. we did try sort of, you know, doing practices through Zoom and so on. And, you know, we just didn't find it, you know, all that effective. Mm. But at the very least, I think we, we, we kept in touch. You know, we had, you know, Zoom calls once in a while where, you know, all the members can just join in and just, you know, see each, each, each other's faces again. Um, but I guess once once the restrictions sort of started lifting up, then we, we, we started practicing again outdoors. And I think... In fact, we are still currently practicing outdoors, but I guess I just, you know, fingers crossed that, you know, there'll be a point in time where all of this and you know, things get better and we'll be able to just go back to our usual venue and, you know, continue our practices as usual. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to report that, you know, at the very least at this stage, even though it's outdoors, we, we are having regular practices again. It's always good to see everyone, you know, everyone's faces I see everyone in, in, in person again and just sort of being able to practice with everyone and sort of meet with everyone weekly as well. So, you know, it's, it's yeah, so, you know, I think last year was tough for everyone, but I think the the occasional Zoom calls within the member sort of, you know, it, it, it's, it's sort of kept, kept us together in some ways. With that in mind, was there uh, something that you didn't think you'd miss about Yesako or something that you really missed quite a lot during the lockdown period that you were so grateful to get back into after restrictions eased? Uh, I barely exercised at all <laughs> during 2020. So getting back into Yosakoi at the start of 2021, yeah, I felt like all of my bones were aching and I put on a few extra kilos that I didn't expect. Um, so for me, it was a, a good way to sort of just get back into a, a positive um, yeah, like sense of, of regular activity. Um, but definitely it was the friends who I missed the most. Like the Zoom calls were good. Um, we also did a lot of online gaming. We played Among Us for <laughs> way, way too many hours. Um, but seeing everybody in person and actually just like, you know, going out for lunch and going out for dinner, uh, it's just like nourishment for the soul. Yeah, so sometimes I say this to new members of, like, the Zen Yosakoi group, which is, like, we're actually, like, a Korean food group that sometimes actually practices Yosakoi because it <laughs> seems like most of our time we actually just chill out and go for food and, like, eat Korean fried chicken and just, like, you know, catch up on old times and stuff, yeah. And I guess what is the overall impact that you hope Zen Yosakoi has on the Australian community? Is there is a purpose or goal that you as a group have in mind? Well, I think it's, 
I suppose it's a way to spread Japanese culture and sort of to introduce the wonderful world of Yosakoi to everyone here in, in, in Australia. And in fact, it's interesting that sometimes, you know, we, we you know, occasionally we, we get um, Japanese students or, you know, Japanese people on working holiday visas come over to Australia. And, you know, they might know roughly what Yosakoi is, but they don't know, you know, they haven't actually tried it out properly and, you know, they don't have, you know, they don't really know what, what Yosakoi really is. And it's only when they, you know, come over to Melbourne that they look us up and they join us where they actually, you know, start sort of experiencing the, 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 the dance and so on. And again, I think it just goes back to Yosakoi being an activity where, you know, it's, it's it's a very involved dance, you know. We, we we usually encourage audience participation, and you know, everyone everyone can pick it up, everyone can dance together, and it's it's just a way for everyone just to have a, you know, a fun time together. That that's 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 my view on it. I don't know if Will has anything additional to add to that. Yeah, it, it's pretty simple. Like I think originally when Zen Yosakoi was founded, it was kind of a sense that the Japanese members were conveying something to the local members. But since a lot of those original members have returned to Japan or gone elsewhere in the world, the mantle has been passed down to people who aren't actually Japanese. And it's kind of on us on what we want to make of the group. And the way that I feel right now is it's more about just showing that, hey, you know, this dance exists. It's fun. It's like not pretentious. Like we go out there and we have a sense that even if we make a mistake, we've still got a smile on our face. Um, so we just want to, yeah, just share our sense of, of fun and passion. It doesn't have to necessarily be that you've been studying Japanese for five years, 10 years or are Japanese. So long as you've got an interest in just making friends and having a, you know, a good time, uh, Yosakoi is probably for you. So it just reminds me of one of the things that the, the Japanese co-leader before me said, which is that, the Awa Odori, which comes from um, a city nearby Kochi, there's like a saying, which is like dancing fools, we're all just dancing fools or something. Maybe that's the translation. But, you know, when you're up there, you kind of are making a fool of yourself. But if you think about how stupid you look, then you become self-conscious. So you have to sort of lose that mentality and just go out there with a sense of fun. So I think that's kind of where we're at right now. We're just like, we know that we're not the most polished group. Um, we're nowhere near what the like synchronization of K-popers can do, but we're still out there just like, yeah, having a good time. Yeah, yeah that sounds wonderful. And I know that you have a performance coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about that and where our listeners could potentially find you performing throughout the year or see your activity on the internet? Yep. Uh, so we actually do have plans to participate in a number of upcoming online events. So you sort of be able to see us perform through the, the, the virtual space. Uh, the dates for those particular events, I don't think have been confirmed just yet, but we'll be posting more details on our Facebook page with you know the links to those events further down the track. And we do also have an upcoming event on the 18th of April. And it's an event organized by... The, the Japan, the JCV, the Japan Club of Victoria. Now, unfortunately, it's in, in relation to that event. It's a, it's a members-only event. I mean, you can obviously, you know, feel free to, you know, join as a member of JCV, and then you you can attend that that particular event. And but you know, you, you can definitely find details of any upcoming events on our Facebook page. That's that's usually where we, you know, where we interact with with others, and that's where we post most of our the, the details of our our events and so on and yeah so 18th of april for the the jcv event but also two more upcoming online events which will keep you posted through facebook awesome looking forward to it and uh, my last question for the evening is what uh was the reason why you chose this particular yosakoi song Yochore? is that the song what was it about it that sort of encapsulates Zen Yosakoi and what Yosakoi is. Yep. Yeah, so y- y- Yochore is one of the more well-known Yosakoi songs. Um, you know, I it's personally it's one of my favorites. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much why why I, I, I you know decided to, to choose that song. And it's you know I should tell the newbies like any new newcomers that would join the group that you know it's 
it, it's a really good song to start off with because with Yosako, you know, you, you find that as you sort of learn and 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 uh, practice more songs, um, you you find that you actually use a lot of the same dance moves, and a lot of it, I think, sort of Yochore, this particular song, like they actually use a lot of moves that a, a lot of other songs sort of adopt as well. And personally, I just think it's it's a really fun, energetic song. You know, whenever I dance, you know, the song just puts a smile on my face. And you know, whenever I, I perform, I know whenever Zan performs this, you know, I think the, the audience the audience sort of enjoys it as well. Mm. And that's pretty much you know why I chose the song. And Will, do you have any views on on your chore? Do you like the yeah, song? Yeah, I you you can't help but like your chore, even yeah. though I've like listened to the song, you know, probably a thousand times and danced it about a hundred it still has that same sort of upbeat energy that's infectious. The other thing as well, just to drop some more Yosakoi knowledge on you, um, is that this song, when we actually perform it, we have this thing called kakegoe, which is like um, attached voice or sort of like accompanying voice, which is like a call and response. So the song will have some particular lyric and then us in the song will repeat it afterwards. Um, these words are usually something like dokoisho, dokoisho, or soran, soran. Um, and when we actually shout it out as uh, performers, it just gives us that ne- extra level of energy that we need to keep on going through the song because it can be physically tiring at times. But it also gives the audience a chance to give energy back to us if we invite them to sort of repeat these lyrics. Um, so you might be able to hear those those throughout this song. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Daniel and Will, for talking with us tonight. And we're really excited to hear more about what Tanya Sukhoi has planned for the year. Thank you so much. Thank you. But now we're going to talk a little bit about a new exhibition that's coming to ACME in May. But Aaron is here to tell us a little bit more about that. So stick around here at Asian Pop Nation on Sin. Australia, for the first time ever, we received one of the best things that ever came to Australia in God knows how many years, really. We received the original sketches and rare artworks from 1928 to present day that have been kept in Disney Vault, so it will be made available to the public to see an expedition that will be coming in May, including Disney's latest film, Raya and the Last Dragon, along with the original painting sketches and concept art from films and short films like Steamboat, Willy, The Lion King, and Frozen. I got a question to everyone for this one. What do you think? Is it a way to convince people to watch Ray and the Last Dragon? If so, what's your honest opinion about it? Um, I mean, it's interesting. I'm probably going to go see it. I think generally just to see all of the original sketches and animations and drawings from those films. But yeah, I feel like since the promotional video, I think on Disney Plus was mainly of the actresses who were voicing the characters in Raya, I thought yeah maybe it's kind of a plug for more people to go see it i'm sure disney's probably not getting exactly the box office numbers that they were expecting or probably hoping for raya because of covid but yeah i mean the animation was pretty good in raya that's probably one of the few things i liked about it Um, but what did you think jp you've seen it as well yeah i saw it it was fun i liked it what do you think of the animation? The animation? Yeah, of course it's good. This is Disney, man. They're really yeah. good. But yeah, this does seem like a really big advertising ploy for <laughs> Ryan the Last Dragon. But I mean, hey, why not, right? It's their latest film. Mm. They, may as well, they may as well plug it. But Aaron, so is there any particular films that you think you'd be interested in sort of seeing the behind-the-scenes animation? Jungle Book. Oh, why Jungle Book? Well, I kind of grew up with the Jungle Book a lot more with the Disney films. Well, mostly with number two anyway. I still haven't seen number one, but I mostly grew up with number two. Mm. And then The Lion King came in and, well, Lion King's Lion King. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't need any introduction. Pretty much. So, yeah, it's mostly the Jungle Book part two and The Lion King, that's it. How about you, Celeste? I have seen some of the behind the works of Disney films, um, including like a rare one with Frozen 2, even though I still... Yeah, Frozen 2 is behind the scenes and like it was just about their trees and how the much tree. research that went into the trees. Yeah, it's like it was a good 15 minute short little explanation on just trees and like the different types of trees, how it looks visually in the snow and it was because the trees were like white and it's got the yeah, reddish leaves on there and how it flows in the wind and how it like works with 
I think it was like the nature power or whatever it was in Frozen 2, I can't remember. I didn't watch it properly. So yeah, that was back in 2019. So I'm interested to see what like technological advances and what like sort of animation things they've done with Riot and The Last Dragon. Because like it may not be inherent, is that the right word, when you watch it, but like when you go through the behind the scenes stuff, they'll explain some of the really cool processes that they've done or anything like anything new that they've tried to explore through technology and it'd be nice to see that i'm also like coming from like talking about animation in a more in-depth sort of view yeah but like in past works i think disney's made a lot of advances and it's just nice to see where they've come from from like frame by frame little sketches in cinderella to like now it's just all 3d cgi Listen, Celeste, now that you've mentioned that, I think I would be really interested to see the research behind the architecture. Oh my God, yes. Raya on the Last yes. Dragon. Yeah. And all the, like, the cultural influences, like the patterns that mm-hmm. they put on the walls and stuff. I want to see that now. <laughs> yeah, now that you've mentioned it, because when yeah. I was watching Raya on the Last Dragon, I'm like, I don't know where some of these references come from. And I really want to, like, get behind the scenes and just learn more about it. Mm. Mm. yeah I mean, it, it is it's a mix of multiple cultures right yeah, yeah. so that's the one that's what i want to see i want to see how they went about doing that mm. i want to say something i also want to see the how they managed to transform from 2d animation into like cgi like how did that work process as well because well, I think less- i was gonna say well they had pixar originally which was working on the 3d stuff and then they've just merged the technology really have they not? I don't know. <laughs> Probably. I'm sure they had quite close partnerships, but I think it, it's pretty cool considering I think Tangled was their first 3D animated film and that was pretty successful. Best film, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I feel like ever since then, oh well, it was, it's just kind of declined its story value. Animation's great. I'm really glad that this exhibition is about animation not necessarily about the stories but like the cultural influences (laughs) would be interesting to look at especially what you mentioned about the trees i didn't think about how much detail you need to make every single aspect of the setting and the background is detailed nah disney has a lot of research into just random things and you're like why but like it all adds up and you start to appreciate why they've done certain things in a certain way Mm, no i agree i think it's definitely hard work that's paid off but if you are a big disney fan and are planning to go see magic of animation at acme be sure to check out their website for more information i'm sure news will come about as to when you can get tickets but yeah i think if you want to share a little bit about what movies you'd want to see behind the scenes about on regards to animation let us know on facebook instagram and twitter we're at asian pop nation and you can direct message us there and the last song we heard was by Soshi Sakiyama called Retrograde or Gyako because some of us question whether this advertising ploy is a bit retrograde. So here's me from the past to talk a little bit more about what Vegemite and Asian recipes have to do with this. Keep on listening to Asian Pop Nation on Sin. So recently, while scrolling through subtle Asian traits, I found that someone had shared a picture of a post that Vegemite did on their Facebook page about their latest Vegemite squeezy bottle. I think it's called Vegemite squeezy. And a part of their promotion is to combine Vegemite with quite a few recipes and have posted a few on their website. And all of them use Vegemite, of course, but some of the recipes are interesting choices. So... A few of the ones that I thought were interesting, which I've listed here, include Vegemite pho, beef and black bean stir-fry with Vegemite, uh, Vegemite noodles, and veggie miso and ginger soup. So I'm just curious to know, for those who might have seen the recipes on the website, whether you would try any of them, and what do you think about combining, you know, something as controversial as Vegemite with these Asian dishes? And do you think any actual dishes might taste good with Vegemite? Any thoughts, anyone? What in the hell? <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah, that's really outlandish. But I think I would try it just for fun. Like, I'm not sure what I would expect, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think just from my memory of Vegemite, it's quite salty. 
So mm. I think it tastes good, but in small doses. And a lot of dishes in my household tend to be quite salty anyway. Oh. But it'll be one of those things that I just hope I don't taste it while eating it. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. It just kind of blends in. But yeah, JP, did you have any recipes that you think would be good with Vegemite or recipes that sound no, interesting? No, no, no. I can't, I can't think of any. Yeah, like going up. The only things that we really had Vegemite on were crackers, like saladas. And bread. then, yeah, that's or bread. Stuff, yeah. Mm, I mean, that's, but, that's pretty much it. Celeste, Aaron, did you have any thoughts on Vegemite and oh. how it's used here? I did remember seeing a post where someone had like used it as a sauce for dumplings. And I thought, you know, that could probably pass because soy sauce is salty. Vegemite is also salty, but uh-huh. in a different way. And it could work i'm curious to try it but like in a way where i'm overseas and i'm visiting or like i'm just trying to bring my australian culture with a jar of vegemite and just like make the most outrageous things and be like yeah Yeah. aussies eat this i eat this on a daily basis i don't but (laughs) yeah it's one of those things that you know oh australian food what kind of food is that and then the first thing that comes to mind is like vegemite (laughs) not exactly uh pride and joy i think when it comes to Australian cuisine. But Aaron, do you have any thoughts on toast? Toast? Just on toast? That's all I can think of, really. I can't think of anything else unless you put on, like, waffles, pancakes, ice cream. Probably not a good idea, anyway. Ice cream? <laughs> have you tried Vegemite ice cream? Can they do something? Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to try it, though. <laughs> like, to me, ice cream is sweet, and then you combine it with Vegemite. Is it? Maybe it's, like, salted caramel. Some people add sea salt mm-hmm. on their ice creams. So... Yeah, that works sometimes, yeah. you know. And it's on the taste and flavor. All right. How about this? Aaron, if we were to put Vegemite on your chicken parma, would you eat it? Don't tempt me. <laughs> but yeah, I'll give it a shot one day. Yeah, yeah we'll have an experiment. Like... <laughs> yeah, sure, someone cook it up and then we'll go to a restaurant and someone brings up, like a jar of Vegemite just spread on the parmigiana. Slather it on. <laughs> <laughs> when we go to do hot pot, we just bring a jar of Vegemite and then... Just put it in the soup, pour it. Yeah. <laughs> Get your you're, little bread there. You're going to do that in the middle of the restaurant where people can see you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, social shame. But <laughs> That's not one of the craziest ideas we ever came up with. But yeah, yeah, to be honest. <laughs> we did have that idea of Aaron dancing for his food. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Aaron, he's still dancing for that food. <laughs> yeah, assuming they can just keep contact with me. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> We are waiting to see if anyone is willing to provide a lifetime supply of food. If anyone is interested in trying one of the Vegemite recipes, you can find them on their website. There are plenty to try from, not just Asian food. So there's a lot of recipes you can experiment with. And if you were successful, we would love to see a picture on our social media pages. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Asian Pop Nation. And share with us some of your awesome Vegemite creations and maybe we'll give it a shot or you can save some for us (laughs) to try someday and the last song you heard was by Mew called Ghosting which kind of relates sadly to our next discussion which is drumroll please It's time for Anime Attack and you know what's happening they've hit their 10th anniversary project or anniversary it's called Anohan I haven't seen it so yeah i don't know i feel like the rest of the room has seen it i feel like i'm out of the loop any fans oh definitely me 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 i think it was the second or first anime series i've seen wow Uh, yeah yeah so that's probably what got me in is crying to this wow yeah that's that's a really painful initiation to anime senor Oh, I think yeah, it was you're still more... into anime. Yeah, that's <laughs> a ruined you. It, su- it sucked me in, but I feel I feel a strong affinity for anything like a story that makes me cry. Mm. Um, I almost like actively seek them, so it's like a challenge. Like, make me cry. Come on, try Just me. You can feel something for once. <laughs> Just more like if they can tug at my heartstrings, because sometimes I feel like I I'm close but not quiet. But with this one, you know, it's just full on tears. Mm. Well, for the uninitiated, me, tell me what it's about, (laughs) whether I should be watching this. So it's this series that aired a while back, 10 years ago, 2011, (laughs) Um, and it follows the story of this boy named Jintan who 
in his childhood was part of a group of friends. But after a tragic event involving one of the members of their small friendship group, Menma, the friends drifted apart. And now in the original series, Jintan is a high school student and Menma returns when she technically shouldn't be. And as you watch, you kind of find out why. And it sort of becomes Jintan's job to get the group back together and find a way to help their old friend move on. So it's a sad story, but it's also like a mix of supernatural, friendship, drama. Yeah, and it has a very long name in Japanese, but if we just shorten it to <laughs> Anohana, the flower we saw that day. <laughs> I'm not going to bother saying it, to be honest. It's like, Anohimitahana no namai wo bokutachi wa mada shiranai. Um, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Which translates to the flower we saw that day. So. Yeah, precisely. Uh, so, you, have to, you have to wrap the whole line to... Yeah, it's like a... <laughs> Yeah, but recently the Twitter account for the show announced a 10th anniversary for the anime is actually underway, but we're not really sure what it means, if that's going to be a movie, an anime series, or just something like, uh, I don't know, promotional material. But so they're going to reveal more in August 28th, so we're going to see a little bit more about that. But they surprised fans with a picture of the movie poster or the anime series poster, but with all the characters 10 years older, which is nice. But for those who've seen Anahana and can remember much about it, it's been a while for me. I don't really remember what the characters' interests were. But where do you think the characters are now, 10 years from now? And if you haven't seen Anahana or can't remember much, what is a TV series or movie where you would want to see a character or characters 10 years after the story ended? Where do you think they would be now? So let's unpack. <laughs> Did anyone want to go first? Yeah, let's go. I think the main character, Jintan, man, I don't know. Where, I mean, he's he was a pretty normal guy, right? right he liked Zoe? games, didn't he? Oh, did? Oh, Remember they all were playing? You know how in anime there's a lot of like rip-off names of popular brands oh, just to yeah. avoid copyright? I think they were playing something... Sorry? Oh, Pokemon. It was something like Pokemon. Yeah, like Pokemon or something Pokemon. like that. <laughs> Oh yeah, or like instead of McDonald's, it's like McDonald's, uh, like what, yeah, that's a classic Ronaldo or something classic. like that. McDonald's avoiding the copyright, very clever. Yeah, and I don't know. He seems like a pretty normal dude. I think he'd be like a regular Japanese salary man. Really? I yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. What's the name of that guy? Who's he? Seems kind of smart. He hangs out with the girl with the glasses a lot. I can't remember oh, his name. Yeah, he has glasses too, right? Oh, yeah. he does? Yeah. I think so. He, I, I imagine him as a salary man. Wait, um, is that the cost dresser? Yes, it's the cost <laughs> I think dresser. So. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. how you remember him. <laughs> yeah, Asimu, yeah. Uh, for viewers that haven't watched it yet, uh, don't worry. You'll get to it. <laughs> it's, it's a shocking revelation. Um, <laughs> that we've just spoiled, but it's okay. It's been 10 years. <laughs> if we haven't seen it. Spoiler, the trailer's spoiled it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I sort of imagine him to be a salary man. Jintan, I could kind of imagine maybe, I don't know. I'm not sure if he's the kind of person who would have stayed in the town. Hmm. Mm. I can't imagine any of them really staying in the town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember much from the series to kind of tell. But... I can imagine him like delivering ramen on, in yeah. a bike. Yeah. Like, like simple... Pardon? Yeah, wasn't he a... Did his father run a ramen shop? Oh, yeah, he did, didn't he? I think so, yeah. It's been a long time. I you remember yeah. a lot more. When was the last time you saw the series? When I first got into the world of anime, which was back in 2013, sorry, 2014? Wow, your memory really serves you well. <laughs> yeah, but Celeste, I know you haven't seen it, but is there a character from a TV series or movie that you'd want to see sort of 10 years from when the show ended? I think I've mentioned Flower of Evil a while back. Um, yeah. and how the guy was like a potential murderer or something and then like everything that happens in the drama itself that all got like solved and then like the, in the most happened at the very end of the episode like he was claimed innocent and stuff yeah and then like that's it <laughs> and then you just want to find out what happens afterwards like is the family mm. okay now did the little girl grow up to be like the sweetest person ever yeah i don't know i just want to find out what happens yeah, and then, like, in regards to Anohana, I'm just, like, imagining the most cliched thing in 
animes in general like they all meet up at a festival fireworks at like the river oh sort God. of thing you know one of those ones yeah uh, that, i mean there was a fireworks episode wasn't there uh there's, there's a always a fireworks episode and you forgot the movie the movie was wasn't it from Menma's perspective yeah basically from Memma's perspective but also with everyone else's reflection of what happened with the tv series and especially the past event and also with a lot of additional scenes of what we call as, as an epilogue Oh, mm. interesting. it's been such a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually, adding on that, I kind of want to see what happens to the character, the couple at the end of Crash Landing on You. Like, what they, <laughs> <laughs> like, how, how are they dealing with that at the moment? Oh my God. <laughs> That's just, yeah. Like, is it like, surely they're together. Like, <laughs> They, they would still like time. have to return to like he has to return to north and then the girl has to return to south korea yeah i'm just imagining like you know in pirates of the caribbean where they just meet once every so years and like she has a kid already and like finally meets <laughs> the kid meets the dad sort of thing yeah and, like once every so years or something mm. that I hurts just... don't don't bring it up <laughs> i'm just like wondering whether he would eventually i'm not sure if it's like his parents may have passed away and he doesn't have any more ties to North Korea. He might calm down again, but I don't know. That's what I'm oh. hoping. It's like the happy ending. <laughs> that is a happy ending. <laughs> but yeah, one you, can hurt. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll never know. But JP, Aaron, was there any additional series or sh- stories that you'd see, would like to see 10 years after? Mm. For me, it's mainly romances because they just end really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's easier for romances, right? Because at least they're set in the normal world. So, yeah. yeah, there's more There's more of an attachment to, oh, what happened to them after, right? Yeah. Yeah. The only the only answer I can think of is Evangelion right now. But that's basically just the fourth movie, which yes, hasn't... You haven't seen, seen yet. Because it hasn't oh, seen please! <laughs> no one's seen it. Yeah. Mm. But, Where do you uh, imagine they'd be? <sighs> I'm not sure, but from the whispers I've heard here and there on the web, I've heard there's a lot of farming. <laughs> That's a very strange leap from like giant robots. Yeah, it's a very strange leap, but I don't know. As long as they're happy, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I want to know. Do they end up happy or not? Yeah, that's the main question. Is it anything yeah. ten years later? Are they happy? Or- yeah, yeah. Seem that seems to be the case. Aaron, do you do you have anything in mind? To be honest, I'm kind of happy how it ended with, with the story of my pain, but uh, I'm just going to have a rough guess, of course, of what the character might be. Jinta is going to be, like, again, like one of those regular salesperson and all that stuff, retail and all that stuff. Memo is, well, Memo, of course. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to measure Memo. You can skip over <laughs> <laughs> I think with Yusuka and maybe Tarusuku, uh, Tusuruku, I apologize, I've butchered those names up. There could be involved with, like, say, law, like, law school and all that stuff, and now, like, being a lawyer and maybe, like, one of those representatives of the community or something like that. Mm. My guess. Popo is, well, just Popo, it's just a traveler, is my guess. Like, I, I see him, yeah, just I see continues him. what he's doing. But yeah, go ahead. I, I could see him fishing, like, working as a fisherman. Yeah. Uh, he, seems, yeah he seems to be that sort of character. But continue. But for Anjo. I think for her, I think she's most likely. I'm not sure. She probably like. Imagine her as a hairdresser. I'm gonna have what? Sorry. As a hairdresser, I kind of imagine her as a hairdresser. That's what I'm going at as well. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, That's my opinions on where the characters might be, but I'm worried about (laughs) what the siblings are. For Memma. Did she had siblings? (laughs) Wait, she has siblings. I can't remember. She had. She had a brother. Oh. I don't remember this. Oh no. Oh God! <laughs> well, okay. Wait, is this an older brother, Aaron? No, younger. Wait, no, younger. Yeah, younger. Younger brother? Yes. Huh. Well, what do you think would happen to him ten years from now? Probably university or something like that. Is my guess. Mm. I'm not sure. I'm no expert on future prediction. What they call it. <laughs> I guess we'll find out our answers maybe at the event on in August, but. For those who've seen Anahana or Anohimita Hana no Namai wo Bokutachi Mamara Shiranai, let us know what you predict the characters are up to now and if there's any anime series or just any Asian pop culture series or films that you'd love to see the characters 10 years since the story ended. So 
Let us know on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Asian Pop Nation. You can easily find us by searching those three words. And yeah, we look forward to hearing what the announcement might be later this year. And I'm sure we'll chat about it if it ends up being another series. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. One on a hundred content. And you just reached the end of our show here at Asian Pop Nation. Thanks for listening to our discussions with myself, Aaron, Celeste, and John Paul. Be sure to come back next week as we go back in time and listen to some of our favorite songs from the decade, starting from the 70s all the way to the 2000s. So be prepared to bop along to those. If you have any requests for songs that you would like to have played on the show, be sure to message us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter just by searching us at Asian Pop Nation, and we'd be happy to play them. Thanks for listening to Asian Pop Nation, and on behalf of the APN team, this is Senya, your EP, signing off. Thank you.